And he has a plan for our service here this morning. He has a plan for each of us being here. We can't take that for uh, for granted. That, you know, a lot of us, and, and I've done it, and I suppose it's as good a reason as any, uh, we come here because of duty, because it's it pleases God and, and we're supposed to. And I, I'd rather have that than you stay at home. <laughs> but there are higher reasons for being here this morning. And one of those reasons is that it's God's desire to bless his people, to minister to his people. He is ever uh, thinking of us, uh, our needs, our our best interest. And so when we come into a service, uh, it's not simply because this is where we're supposed to be on a Sunday morning. Uh, this is what we're supposed to do. Uh, but it's, it's, it's much higher than that. It's much, it's much more meaningful than that. Uh, we come because we're going to receive from our Creator, our Heavenly Father, something good. And it's His desire for us to come into His presence and receive those good things from Him. Amen. So, those things that He has desired for us this morning, we're going to pray that that comes to fruition today. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. I am so thankful for You, for Your presence in this place today. Thank you for this opportunity, another opportunity to come into your presence, to bless the name of the Lord our God, to minister unto you with our worship and with our praise and with our giving of thanks, to receive of you your good things, your best things. Hallelujah, Jesus. We are a needy people today, and it is our desire to enter into your presence and to receive of you your good things today. At the same time, we desire to minister unto you, to be thankful for all that you've done, to rejoice today in the God of our salvation. Hallelujah, Jesus. I pray that you would speak to each person here today within the sound of my voice, that you would speak directly to them. They are your people, an exceeding good and precious people purchased with the holy precious blood of Jesus Christ. You have called them by your name. You have filled them with your spirit. They are the people of God. Minister unto them today. Undergird them with strength. Encourage them today. And above all else, Lord, that your great and mighty name would be glorified in our midst today. And all these things we ask today in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing, for praying. You can be seated today. Uh, I should announce that my oldest son will be with us from this point forward. Alex, say hi. <laughs> I should have you testify. <clears throat> it's my testimony this morning that he's here with us today. I'm glad for that. Amen. We're going to continue our, our study this morning on the New Covenant. Today we're going to be talking about judgment. Judgment is something that gets thrown in the face of a Christian quite a bit. Don't judge me. Why are you so judgmental? <clears throat> we get that every once in a while. And if we would be frank and direct in explaining to people what Jesus actually taught, uh, they would probably say he's quite a bit judgmental. He's a little bit narrow-minded. But, uh, so we're gonna, we're gonna talk about this this morning, uh, continuing on in Matthew chapter 7. We're, that marks two-thirds of the way done. On the Sermon on the Mount. Amen. Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 through 6 says this. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? 
Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, the beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite! First cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Amen. So, uh, obviously, we're talking about judgment. And there is, there's a difference, and we'll talk about that, between being judgmental and speaking out against sin. There's a difference uh, that we're going to talk about this morning. I found a poem that uh, kind of summarizes quite succinctly the spirit, a critical spirit or a judgmental spirit, the kind that we don't want. The poem goes like this. Six humans trapped in happenstance in dark and bitter cold, each one possessed a stick of wood, or so the story's told. The first woman held hers back, for of the faces around the fire she noticed one was black. The next man looking across the way saw not one of his church, and couldn't bring himself to give the fire his stick of birch. The third one sat in tattered clothes and gave his coat a hitch. Why should his log be put to use to warm the idle rich? The rich man just sat back and thought of the wealth he had in store and how to keep what he had earned from the lazy, shiftless poor. The black man's face bespoke revenge as the fire passed from sight, for all he saw in his stick of wood was a chance to spite the white. The last man of this forlorn group did not accept for gain, giving only those who gave was how he played the game. The logs held tight and death's still hands was proof of human sin. They didn't die from the cold without. They died from the cold within. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what we don't want. That kind of spirit is, it so easily grips us and gets a hold of us. And the reason for that is a few. As human beings, we rely Largely on experience. We rely largely on uh, things that we're taught, things that come to us from peers, mentors, parents, teachers. And so our understanding of people, our understanding of cultures, our understanding of, of one another is really extremely limited. We think we have an understanding of our neighbor, of the person that we work with, but do we really? Do we know what they're experiencing? Do we know what, what situations they're facing right now? We see people, and largely we get a snapshot of their lives. And from that snapshot, we have to make a judgment as to who this person is. If you've ever conducted a, a job interview or you've been a part of a job interview, uh, they ask some, in my opinion, some pretty dumb questions. Because the reason I think they're, in and of themselves, they're, they're, they're good questions, but they're phrased so that you know what answer they're looking for. And so you just give them the answer that they're looking for, and it seems kind of shallow. And anyway, when you're conducting an interview, the person that's sitting on the other side of the desk from you, you don't know them. You have no idea who they are. you got a, a resume in front of you, probably. Uh, you have some work history. you got some maybe some uh, schooling, some... Uh, extracurricular activity on there, but I don't know this person. I don't know if he or she is a good worker. I don't know if he or she is honest or if they're, they're going to steal, they're going to raid the supply cabinet as soon as I go home. Uh, I don't know any of that. And so I've got to make a judgment call right here and right now as to who this person is. Can I trust them? 
Are they going to be good, a good fit for the company? I don't know any of that. And so I got maybe a half hour, maybe an hour to figure it out. Is that really fair? This person sitting in front of me, their kids may be, they may have a kid in, in, in the hospital suffering from stage four cancer. And she comes in and, and she's a little bit of a mess and she's fumbling over her words, but I don't know why. She seems distracted. Maybe this job isn't really for her. No, that's not it at all. She's distracted, all right. She's got a child that's about to die. That kind of sheds a whole new light on it. But I don't know that. And so I make a judgment call that she's just not really interested in the job. Our society today, our lack of understanding and our attitudes toward those who are in any way different than us, it contributes to hatred and violence, and it contributes to discord and strife. And it's being propagated today (laughs) by the media, by the government. For a reason, I'm sure. Nevertheless, it plays on people's prejudices and it, it preys on people's lack of understanding and lack of a desire to understand. In a nutshell, instead of judging one another, instead of having that critical spirit one toward another because you're different than me, I don't understand where you're coming from. How about we try to understand? How about we try to to figure out where they're coming from? That's what Jesus did. He was critical of those that knew better, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, but only because they knew better and he knew it. The ranked sinner, the tax collector, the publicans, they didn't know better. So he was very merciful to them and very patient with them. And he explained things and he he got down where they were at and he understood where they were coming from. So he was able to lead them from where they were at to where he was at. He didn't look down on them. He didn't criticize or condemn them. And he could have. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were very critical of others and very liberal toward themselves. Now, that's not new with the Pharisees, and they certainly don't corner the market on that. All of us this morning are a little bit like that. We are pretty generous toward ourselves. And pretty critical when it comes to others. Exact same attitude. Exact same behavior. But different perspectives. Again, we see that the legalism of the Pharisees was being called into question by Jesus and condemned. Their legalism being that, uh, well, legal toward others, very merciful toward themselves. They would be very critical and legalistic toward any infractions of the Mosaic Law, but they could not see their own spiritual shortcomings. Ever been there before? I won't get into specifics, but I remember one time in particular that happened to me. I was confronted with that, and it completely blindsided me. I didn't see it. I truly was completely oblivious to the fact that I was being so hypocritical. And someone pointed it out very kindly. God bless him. And I was floored. I was like, you're absolutely right. I didn't see it. 
I was oblivious. I didn't see it. And so maybe because of that, I, I'm a little bit patient when it happens to other people because I understand that it's not always easy to see our own shortcomings. Jesus, in this passage of Scripture, is really teaching us about self-government. Our judgmental attitudes, the idea that we should judge sin, should be applied to ourselves. When we're talking about the idea of self-government, we're talking about the fact that we need to look in a mirror daily. And we need to judge us. That is the only person I have the authority to sit in judgment over, is me. And I need to do that on a regular basis. Because if I do that, if I judge myself, I won't have to have God judge me then. I'm governing myself. I'm taking dominion over my own lusts, my own base desires, my own fallen nature. With the help of God, with the help of the Holy Ghost, I am taking dominion over that. That's what I'm sitting in judgment over. And with everyone else, I'm going to seek to understand. I'm going to seek to figure out where they're coming from and try to minister to them to bring them from where they're at to where they need to be. We know, okay, it's not, it's not sitting in judgment to say that the ranked sinner out there needs God. They're living in sin. I mean, that's a statement of fact. According to Scripture, they're living in sin. I'm not being judgmental when I say that. But our job, our our ministry, is to figure out exactly where they're at and lead them from where they're at to where they need to be. That's our desire. That's God's desire. God is not sitting in judgment over them. Neither can we. There is only one person that has the authority to judge any man. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a one-person throne, folks. There's no room on there except for Him. There's not a second seat sitting by where we can kind of scooch on over and give Him some advice. It doesn't exist. It's a one-person throne. And while we're exercising dominion over ourselves, we've got to allow people to do the same. There's a scripture, and I think sometimes it's probably taken out of context, but it says we need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. What that means is that you can't force me to live for God. I can't force you to live for God. And all of my judgment and all of my condemnation isn't going to change that fact. That you are or you're not living for God. Dad, you're disturbing the service. Have a seat, please. Maybe, but oh, it was worth it. <laughs> Glad to have you guys today. <laughs> Amen. So, now that I've demonstrated to you what judgment is, <clears throat> we've got to allow others to do the same. God allows us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We've got to allow others the same <clears throat> the same opportunity, the same privilege, to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we ought to be able to help them in any way we can, answer questions for them, encourage them to do the right thing, but we can't save them. And we can't force them to experience New Testament salvation. 
We desperately want them to be saved. God suffered on a cross and died so that they could be saved. He wants them to be saved. But he's not going to force them to be either. He could. He could literally take away their free will and force them to experience salvation if he wanted to. But he's not going to. He will never do that. He will let them make the call. And we've got, we don't have the authority to do anything else. We are not given authority to sit in judgment over others, Christians or non-Christians. Our word is not law. God's word is law. But when we explain to someone, you need to lengthen that skirt. Your sleeves need to come down to here. You need to do this. You need to stop doing that. That, uh, let's assume for a moment that you're right. We're just, we'll assume that what you're saying is correct. Is that your call to do that? That's not even really my call to do that. We'll be setting standards for people up here. Okay? And that's, that's okay. That's not a salvation issue. That's representing the church, etc., etc. Maybe we'll talk more about that at some point. But to be a part of our church, There's no dress code. Okay, we talked about holiness a while back. If I have holiness in here, it's going to be reflected on the outside, right? If I got rot and rancor in here, it doesn't matter how I dress it up out here. It doesn't matter. If I got sin locked away here, I can look the part. Boy, can I. But it doesn't matter. There are (laughs) Muslims have holiness standards that put us to shame. Are they going to go to heaven? I don't believe so. Not unless they've experienced this. Acts 2.38. That's the plan of salvation. Now, holiness, one guy said, holiness, the things that that spring forth from that, the desire to please God, the desire to do things that please Him, that comes after the fact. I experienced salvation, I experienced the love of God, And now I can reciprocate that. And because of that, I find out this pleases God. So that's what I want to do. This displeases God. So I want to stop doing that. Not because someone told me to. Not because it's a requirement for coming through the doors. But because it pleases or displeases God. And I'm trying to please Him. So God is working on me. He's helping me to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. We're not given a permission to speak evil against our brother or sister. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We've got to be very careful what comes out of our mouths, especially when it comes to our brothers and sisters. We've got to be very careful. That when we're speaking to others, we're ministering life, encouragement, strength. It's all too easy, especially when we're in a tough spot. We're going through something. Our nerves are frazzled. Didn't get a lot of sleep last night. It's easy to come across as critical. It's easy to speak words or or uh things into someone else that are harmful. We don't always mean to harm. It's just I'm tired and yeah, a little cranky. 
But we've got to be very careful because every word that comes out of our mouths, we're going to be held accountable for. And when we're speaking to others, we don't know what situations they're going through. So when we, we, we come to them and we're a little short and, well, you're doing this and you need to stop doing it. That'll take care of the problem. Maybe, but is that the way you want to say it? I've wanted to say that to all kinds of people. I really have. But that's not going to lead to the results I'm looking for. Are you wanting to be right? Or do you want them saved? Sometimes you can't have both. I want to see people saved. And after that, I want to see them come to perfection. Come into Christ-likeness. Oftentimes, we're most critical of others when we see our wrong actions in them. I've noticed this in my own life. If I've got a weakness, I'm struggling with something, and I see it in someone else, I pick up on that right away. I'm not going to tell you what it was. But for an example, this wasn't it, but if I really struggle with telling the truth, I'm going to be very critical of those that lie, that lie to me. I'm going to be very critical of that. And I've seen that in others. People that don't always tell the truth, they're the first ones to jump. Oh, man, that guy's a liar. He can't tell the truth. Standing on Bible looking at Jesus. <clears throat> well, neither can you. <laughs> so, if you notice that you're especially critical about someone in a particular area, let's follow the scriptures that Jesus just preached to us here. Let's look at the beam in our own eye first. And make sure that we don't have a problem in that same area. It's okay to receive correction. In fact, it's good to receive correction. But when we're the ones correcting... I'm getting ahead of myself here. We don't know people's motives or intentions. Only God can and will try the heart and know the thoughts of man. Only God understands why people do what they do. Sometimes we don't understand why we do what we do. People will break down and cry. <laughs> What's wrong? I have no idea. I don't know what's wrong. I don't know why I'm crying. Something that happened years ago. Maybe they thought they dealt with it. It's just coming up now. But we don't know why people do what they do. We don't know why people are the way they are. Why they believe the way they believe. But that's where understanding comes in. Let's try to understand first. We cannot, we must not try and usurp God's rightful place as judge. If we'll refrain from judging others with a wrong spirit, God will not judge us either. We talked a little bit about that. We have got to be ruthless and sit in judgment over our own actions, thoughts, speech, but in dealing with others, we've got to seek understanding. We've got to seek to understand people. Why are they the way they are? They're different than you. They're different than me. Absolutely. There are people that are so far removed from any of my experiences, I'm going to have a really tough time trying to understand anything about them. 
Their cultures, their experiences are so far different than mine. But this gospel, this Bible, applies to all cultures. It applies to all time periods. Because, here's the truth, folks. At the end of the day, human beings are human beings. I don't care what culture you come from. I don't care what time period you come from. I don't care what color skin you have, male, female, young, old. It doesn't matter. We all struggle with the same things. We are all fallen creatures, and we struggle with sin. You may have a different weakness than I do, but we all struggle with something. And that's what we all have in common. We all need a Savior. All of us. We have that in common. Human beings are the same no matter what. Yes, we have different experiences. Yes, we have different belief systems because of our culture, because of our experiences, because of what we've been exposed to. But in our heart of hearts, we are exactly the same. We all have a need for salvation. We all have a need for God. And this salvation that God has provided applies to everybody, everywhere, every time period. We are not to judge, but we are given permission and even a command to reprove sin. Okay, first, like the scripture just said, we've got to make sure our own house is clean before we want to clean someone else's. We all know how frustrating it is when someone tries to give us some advice and they're not following it themselves. That's very frustrating. And at that point, it would be very easy to point out their hypocrisy, their inconsistency. Yeah, that's good advice. Why don't you try it? <clears throat> but here's something I've discovered. Yeah, that's frustrating. But it's still good advice, right? If a drunkard tries to explain to me the evils of alcoholism, yeah, he's telling me the truth. And if anything else, I can look at this man's life and that's going to preach to me. I, I don't want to be where you're at, sir. I'll take that advice. It's still good advice. When someone's doing that to us, we still should receive that. It's a logical fallacy to try to null and void someone's argument because of the person giving the argument. That has no bearing on the argument itself. But when we're the ones giving advice, Scripture tells us, to not do that. If I'm going to preach to someone about the evils of alcohol, I better be abstaining from alcohol. Living what I'm trying to preach to someone else. My house has to be clean first. The beam has to be out of my own eye first. And as always, we've got to check our attitude and our motives when we're reproving sin. Those are always very important. What is my motivation for doing that? Am I trying to make myself look better by showing everyone else that this guy is not so good? Or do I love that person and I'm trying to woo them to the Lord Jesus Christ? What's my motivation for reproving sin? What's my attitude when I'm doing it? Do I feel pretty good about myself? Or is my attitude one of 
ministration. I feel our attitude ought to be one of sorrow. It ought to be one of fear and humility. Because, except for the grace of God, that's me. Everything that I'm reproving in anyone else is all right here too. Except for God. If it weren't for God, I'd be out there doing everything they're doing. But God saved me. He delivered me from that. And because of that, I have liberty and freedom from that. When I'm talking to someone else who doesn't have liberty and freedom from that, I understand. Because there was a time in my life I didn't either. And so my motivation, I want to see them delivered from that. I want to see them brought out of that. I'm not, I'm not talking about this guy so I can look good. I don't need to look good. I want God to look good. Because if I do look good, it's, it's, it's because of God. It's not because of me. I have nothing to do with it. In fact, I am who I am today despite myself. Sometimes God had to drag me kicking and screaming. But thank God He did. So my motivations and my attitude when I'm reproving sin in someone else needs to be checked. It needs to be proper. Our intentions have to be that we're desiring to restore them to God out of our love for them. The old adage, we love the sinner but hate the sin. There's a lot of meaning to that. The Scriptures conclude, that we read, that not everyone is fit to receive correction. He uses words like dogs and swine. These are the most despised creatures in the Jewish world. There are people that we're talking to, and we're speaking to them with the proper motivation and the proper attitude. We're desiring to win them to the Lord. We're desiring to see them free from sin, delivered from bondage. And they will turn around and they will hate you for it. And they will despise you for it. And Brother Muth was just telling us a story downstairs. Cuss you out. There are people that will do that. Again, I would suggest trying to understand why. But, understanding that not everyone is ready to receive correction. Not everyone will receive these pearls. Receiving correction is good, and it's right. We need to receive correction. As the people of God, we are not above being corrected. I am not above being corrected. As the pastor of this church, I need correction. We all do. And so understanding that from time to time, our Heavenly Father is going to give us a spanking. He will. And thank God for it. I have the privilege of having my dad here today. So I can say this with him right here. I got spanked as a kid. And he did it. But I thank God for it. I thank God for it. That I received that correction. I didn't like it then. I surely didn't. You probably testified to that. But I like it now. I'm the man I am today because my dad corrected me. He told me what was right and what was wrong. And our Heavenly Father will do the exact same thing. If we stray off, 
He's going to steer us right back. He loves us. He set these these laws, these thou shalt and thou shalt nots up as boundaries to protect us. Our parents don't tell us to stay out of the street because they, they're mean and evil ogres. They tell us to not play in the street because they don't want us run over by a car. And kids are dumb. They don't know any better. They'll play out in the street and they'll get hit by a car. Sometimes as, as a child of God, I'm dumb. I want things. I pray for things that are bad for me. I don't know that they're bad, but God does. So he tells me no. And if I keep pursuing it, he'll use stronger methods. I want him to do that. I need him to do that. But there are people that are not ready to receive correction. We have got to preach the gospel to every creature, but we are not to spend a lot of time on those who, after hearing the gospel, are stubborn and blasphemous toward it. Now let me spend just a moment here. God loves everybody. It's God's desire to see everybody saved. We understand that. And we need to preach to every creature the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have that responsibility to reach the city. Everybody needs to hear the gospel, but not everyone is going to receive it. Okay, unfortunately, we understand that also. Straight is the way and narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few there be that find it. And so, although we present the gospel to every creature, not every creature is going to receive it. And so, because we are finite creatures with finite resources and a finite amount of time, we cannot spend an infinite amount of time on someone who just stubbornly and blasphemously refuses to hear. At some point, we've got to dust the, the dust off of our feet and we've got to move on. Now, what point is that? That's between you and God. Yep, pray for wisdom. Now, we can still pray for him. I suggest we do that. We need to pray, still pray for him. But spending time with him, trying to teach him a Bible study, there are other people out there that are hungry and will receive it. And those are the time when... There is a business principle. Some of you have probably heard of the, the Pareti principle, 80-20. 20% of your... uh Productivity is done by 80% of your employees. 80% of your productivity is done by 20% of your employees. 80% of your time should be spent on, uh, is spent on the 20% that are doing something. Stuff like that. The 80-20 principle is what it's called. Anyway, the principle is basically, in a nutshell, you spend your resources on those that are the most productive. Okay, now that sounds uh, a little bit Machiavellian, okay? But it's true. As a leader, we should spend time with those that are doing the most. We don't neglect the others, but our time is best spent with those that are doing the most, okay? So, when we're ministering to people, our time is best served with those who are the most hungry, who are the most responsive to the gospel. We're still spending time with the others. We're still being a witness to them. We're still praying for them. But there is a kingdom to build. We're building the kingdom of God. And spending time with Jesus said it, not me, the swines and the dogs who will not receive the correction that God is giving them. We don't have the time. The time is short. Jesus is coming back quickly. And so we've got to spend our time. We've got to redeem the time. 
the Bible says. Got to walk circumspectly. And so we spend time on those that are responding. You'll know who are not worthy to receive godly correction because of their reaction to it. It's pretty easy to tell. The unworthy will become defiant, angry, defensive, condemning. The worthy will be thankful, penitent, and will be restored. It's a simple enough process. Now, we'll find a lot of people in the middle, uncommitted. Yeah, that sounds pretty good, but don't really do anything with it. We can spend more time with that until they make a decision, one way or the other. And again, we've got to let them make the same decision God gave you and me. God is not going to force them to come to the Lord. We cannot force them to come to the Lord either. If we could, we would just issue guns at the door and we'd drag them in here. Gunpoint. Gunpoint salvation. <laughs> but it doesn't work like that. God created us free moral agents. And so we have got to give them the same opportunity God gave us to choose to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. The worthy, those that are worthy to receive correction, that ought to be everyone here. When we receive correction, we ought to be thankful for it. It's not fun to receive correction. It's not a joyous occasion to receive correction. It's hard. Sometimes it's embarrassing. I really ought to have known better. Why didn't I know better? <clears throat> but we receive the correction because it's good for us. I don't want to be in error. I don't want to, I don't want to keep on living. Like I'm right with God and I'm not. It's possible to do that. My ability to deceive myself is almost unlimited. I can come up with reasons for just about anything I want to do. Just give me a little bit of time. I'll figure it out. And there'll be good reasons. And I'll have myself talked into it. We're all good at that. As human beings, we are weak. We are easily distracted. We are easily led off to the side, pursuing these shiny baubles and look at the pretty bird over here. And, oh, there's a candy bar. I want that. And we, we get sidetracked by all of these things and we get distracted and we get confused. And so, it, I hate saying that about us. I hate saying that about me, but it's true. I need God to keep me focused. I need the Word of God to keep me on track. We need God every single day. We need Him to save us every single day. Understanding how weak I am without Him. is imperative if I'm going to make it to heaven. I get good days. I'm feeling especially spiritual. And those seem to be, that seems to be about the worst thing that can happen to me. <laughs> because I get to feeling really good spiritually. And then I feel like I can kind of slack off on prayer a little bit. I'm feeling God right now. I'm quoting scripture in my mind. I don't need to read, I don't need to read my Bible right now. 
And it keeps going and keeps going and keeps going until I trip and fall on my face. I'm like, oh, yeah, I need God. I am so thankful that God loves me enough to correct me. It's love that does that. The correction we receive from our parents, the correction we receive from our Heavenly Father is because of love. And when someone corrects us, it's not always pleasant, it's not always easy, but try to receive it with the proper attitude. If it's good advice, receive it. Receive it. Because it can only help you. It can only help you move forward in God. Amen. In conclusion, our li- in our lives we all need correction and we'll be in a place where we'll need to do the correcting. Remember to always do both with the right attitude and God will in both instances forgive and restore. Again, understanding that attitude and motive are so important. We can do the right things for the wrong reason. And it is still sin to us. This whole study, we've, we, we're understanding that we can do the right things. We can check them off. We can follow the law legally. But Jesus is trying to point out that what is in here is what matters. Yes, I'm doing what the law says, but why? Why am I doing it? Is it for the right reasons? It's got to be for the right reasons as well. And if it's not, God can help us. God can bring us in line with his reasons. God can bring us in line with what he is wanting to do through you, through us. Amen. Let's all stand.